Oh, we're starting now? <laughs> All right, I guess uh, we can go ahead and start. Uh, welcome to our Bible History Project. Praises be to God, we're gathered together once again. Uh, we're doing episode number two of Exodus. Um, we're excited to deliver this passage of Scripture because it really, really strengthens our faith because we believe and we can see that God works in our life even though we cannot physically see Him. This gives us confidence and faith, and this gives us the ability to endure. This is why we are so excited to present to you the book of Exodus. But before we go ahead and proceed to our studies, we ask everyone to please stand for our opening prayer. Everlasting and most holy Father, yes. thank you so much, gracious God, yes. for all of your blessings upon our life. Yes. Lord, we believe every part of Scripture yes. indeed is for our edification, yes. that we can be inspired to know who you are yes. and also your plan concerning our salvation. Amen. Father, as we study the book of Exodus, yes. may you please bless our minds. Yes. Bless our hearts as well. Yes. Help us to understand your will, yes. that we can fulfill them in our life, yes. that we can draw nearer and closer to you by the day. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, we glorify you as yes. well. Yes. We worship your holy name. Yes. Please increase our faith and always help us to endure until the end. Amen. We believe, Father, you have forgiven our sins. Yes. You will be with us throughout the study of your book. Yes. We ask and beg everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, so today we're going to study Exodus chapter 2. In last week's episode, we talked about um, the state of the people of Israel, how they were held in bondage there in Israel. And the king, or the pharaoh who did not know Joseph, he had a decree at the end of chapter 1 to have all baby boys killed, right? And so it would not be a good time to get pregnant at this time. However, what happened at this time? Exodus chapter 2, 1 down to 2, about this time. A man and woman from the tribe of Levi got married. Let's pause there for a while. It doesn't mention in the verse the name of these two, who would be the father and mother of Moses, but you probably know who they are, right? Who is the father and mother of Moses? If we go to Exodus uh, chapter 6, I think, or in other chapters of the Bible, Exodus, it reveals to us it is Amram and Jochebed. Okay, it doesn't mention it right now, but. They were the two referred to from the tribe of Levi who got married. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw that he was a special baby and kept him hidden for three months. And so during the time when there was a decree to kill baby boys, a decree that was given by the Pharaoh or the king of Egypt, what happened? Two, got, two people from the tribe of Levi, Levi got married and the woman, Jochebed, she became pregnant. That would be a big problem, wouldn't it? When the baby came out, what does the mother say? This is a special baby. Now, how many here are mothers? Yeah, when your baby came out, what did you say? This is a special baby. <laughs> Don't all mothers say that about their baby. But there's something about this one, though. There was a certain glow about this baby. And so they knew God had a plan for this baby, so they kept him hidden for three months. When we consider the circumstances of Moses' birth, they were not too good. First of all, um, the, the parents of Moses came from the tribe of Levi, not exactly the tribe that you will be proud of. Because remember what Jacob said about Levi and Simeon? They were basically cursed by um, by Jacob. So not exactly the top tribe to belong to. Not only that, it was during a time when there was a decree by the Pharaoh to have all baby boys put to death. However, there was something Moses had going for him. What was that? Let's look at the book of Hebrews 11 verse 23. Take note, we jump to the book of Hebrews, right? And like what we will do today, we'll jump into other passages of scripture because the Holy Spirit has moved the writers of the Bible to fill in some gaps, to fill in some details about the, the life of Moses. So here, Hebrews 11, 23, it was by faith that Moses' parents 
hid him for three months when he was born. They saw that God had given them an unusual child, and they were not afraid to disobey the king's command. What did Moses have going for him? Well, he had parents who were faithful to our Lord God. Yes, they may have belonged to the tribe of Levi, not the tribe of Judah, but they were faithful parents. And because of their faith, they were not afraid of the king's command. This is why they hid them for three months. Not only that, because of their faith, guess what? They were willing to give up their child for God's use. This is why, because of the faith of Moses' parents, what did they agree to do? Especially the mother. Let's go back to Exodus 2, 3 down to 4. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a basket made of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with, with tar and pitch. She put the baby in the basket and laid it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. The baby's sister then stood at a distance watching to see what would happen to him. Now, I want you to put yourself in the shoes of uh, the mother. If this was you and you had your baby, very special child, right? Are you willing to give up that baby? Are you going to put him in a basket along the Nile River? And that's the very same river where countless baby boys have been put to death. Are you going to put your baby in that basket along the Nile River? Probably not. But this mother had some faith. Faith enough, trust enough that he was willing to place that baby at risk because she believed in God's plan, God's purpose. And so she made a basket, put baby Moses inside the basket, and assigned the sister to go watch and see what was happening. What, this, what is the sister's name? You probably know the sister's name. Starts with letter M. What is it? Miriam, right? So Miriam was there watching to see what would happen. So what happened? Exodus 2, 5 down to 6. Soon Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe in the river, and her attendants walked along the riverbank. When the princess, who is the princess? Pharaoh's daughter. When the princess saw the basket among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it for her. When the princess opened it, she saw the baby. The little boy was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This must be one of the Hebrew children, she said. And so when the baby was there in the basket, floating along the Nile River, who happens to be there at the right time? Pharaoh's daughter. And so Pharaoh's daughter sees the basket, opens it. Here's the boy crying. And she says, this must be one of the Hebrew children. She felt sorry for the baby. That's not surprising because females have a soft spot in their hearts for babies, right? I'm sure males too. But for some reason, females have an even softer spot for babies, especially Pharaoh's daughter. And so what did she do? And what was Miriam up to? Let's read Exodus 2, 7 to 9. Then the baby sister, who is that again? Miriam, approached the princess because she was watching from a distance, right? And so when she sees what's happening, she approaches the princess. Should I go and find one of the Hebrew women? To nurse the baby for you, she asked. That's a pretty good plan. It seems like uh, the, Moses' mother and the sister were probably planning something all along, right? And they required the blessing from our Almighty God. And so here's Miriam at the right time with the opportunity, goes to the princess. Do you want me to get a Hebrew woman to nurse the baby for you? What do you think the Pharaoh's daughter said? Let's keep reading. Let's read verses 8 down to 9. Yes, do, the princess replied. So the girl went and called the baby's mother. Take this baby and nurse him for me, the princess told the baby's mother. And so because Miriam asked the princess, should we get a Hebrew um, female to nurse the baby? He said, yes. 
Miriam, very smart person. Perhaps it was all planned, right? What did she do? She, wanting, she went to get the, the mother. And so here's the mother, Moses' mother, and here's Pharaoh's daughter telling her, hey, can you take care of this baby? What do you think um, Moses' mother said? Yes, right? And so what started out as the worst day in her life, right? Because can you imagine giving up your baby in the Nile River? What started out as the worst day in her life, eventually what? Became the best day in her life. Oh, next slide, please. We missed it. Yeah. So what started out as the worst day in her life, <laughs> why? Because you had to give up your baby. Eventually what? Next slide. Became the best day in her life. Right? Because after all, you get to take care of your own baby but it doesn't stop there let's slide what else did god provide for moses's mother let's go to exodus chapter 2 7 to 9 so the baby's sister approached the princess she asked the question do you want me to find a hebrew woman he said yes it's the baby's mother verse 9 uh, let's go ahead and keep reading verse 9 next slide please this is what pharaoh's daughter says I will pay you for your help. So the woman took her baby home and nursed him. So not only does Moses' mother get to take care of her own baby, not only does she get the blessing of Pharaoh's daughter, she also gets paid. <laughs> Isn't God good? God is great, right? This is why a principle we need to always remember is the book of Ephesians 3, verse 20. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. And so, brothers and sisters, what started out as a crisis became an, became an opportunity for the mighty power of God to be fulfilled and to be manifested. So if you're going to face a crisis, brothers and sisters, you might say to yourself, this is the worst day in my life. But don't give up hope. Rather, place your hope in God. And that worst day of your life, it will become what? The best day of our life. Why? Because God can accomplish infinitely more than what we might ask or think. God will work. Let him work in your life. Now, next slide, please. How did God deliver Moses from death, because we know God was working behind the scenes, right? You know how God worked out this provision for Moses so that he can be preserved as a baby? Next slide, please. God used people, right? Who are the people God used? Next slide. Started out really the reverent fear of the midwives. Remember the midwives? Uh, to disobey Pharaoh's orders. What else? Number two. He used the faith of Moses' mother to protect and eventually to also let go of baby Moses. Number three, the compassion of Pharaoh's daughter. God used that too. What else? Number four, the availability of Moses' sister, Miriam. And so God was working behind the scenes using different people to carry out his work. That's what God does. This is why if ever you find yourselves in some kind of problem, brethren, give it to God. Just like Moses' mother, he gave his burden to God. God provided the rest. Let God act. And when God acts, he will use anyone he wants. God used the midwives. God used the mother. God used Pharaoh's daughter. God used Miriam. God can use anyone as his instruments to carry out his work for your benefit. But even better, when you look at this slide, what's even better is if you yourselves can become an instrument that God can use, right? How do you think the midwives felt when God used them, or the mother, or Pharaoh's daughter, or Miriam? We want to be used by God as an instrument. This is why if, we, if you want God to use you as an instrument, we need to practice reverent fear. What else? Faith. What else? Compassion. 
What else? We need to be available. If we want God to use us in a powerful way, we need to have fear of God. We need to have faith in God, compassion, and we need to be available for God's use, for us to be used by God in a powerful way. Now, after a while, when the boy gets older, what happened? Exodus chapter 2, verse 10, later when the boy was older, his mother brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter, who, what happened? Adopted him as her own son. The princess named him Moses, for she explained, I lifted him out of the water. So the blessing doesn't stop there, right? The baby, who was, became a boy when he got older, was adopted to become Pharaoh's daughter. Is that a blessing? Yeah. Why? Well, if you're Pharaoh's daughter, guess what? You enjoyed the benefits of living in royalty, right? This is why in the book of Acts 7, verse 22, it says, Moses was taught all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was powerful in both speech and action. And so he gets the best education the world could buy. Because back then, if you were looking for human wisdom, the best place to go was Egypt. They had the money, they had the, the fame, they had the power, they had the, uh, the wisdom. And so Moses gets to benefit because he now belongs to the royal family. Eventually, he becomes a powerful man, a great man in other translations of the Bible because he was powerful in both his speech and his action. God is good, right? This is, even historians like Josephus, next slide, note, I don't know if, you know if you're aware of Josephus, but he was a famous Jewish historian. He said, being adopted a son of Pharaoh's daughter, Moses was really in the royal family. Okay? The ancient Jewish historian Josephus says, Moses was heir to the throne of Egypt. And that while a young man, Moses uh, led the armies of Egypt in victorious battle against the Ethiopians. Of course, that's not in the Bible. But if you study his other historical records, Josephus, would, Josephus put together something about Moses' life that's not recorded in the Bible, but could be true. Because Moses was in line to be the next Pharaoh, the next king being the son, the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter. So Moses had everything going for him. He had a bright future. He was going to sit on the throne of Egypt, the most powerful country in the entire world. God is good, right? But Moses had a change of heart. What happened eventually? Exodus 2, 11 and 12. Many years later, when Moses had grown up, he went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews. He knew he was Hebrew. Why? Why do you think he knows he's Hebrew? Number one, he looked different, <laughs> right? I mean, if you're Chinese, you know you're Chinese, even, even if you live, you've been adopted by American parents. You kind of look different, right? Slight difference there. So he knew he was different. And he was raised by who? His own mother. So he knew about the Hebrew heritage. He knew about the prophecies. He knew the prophecy. What prophecy? That they would inherit the promised land. That they would become a mighty nation. And guess what? Moses, you're the one. <laughs> you are the deliverer of your people. So he knew growing up under his own mother's house and with all the Hebrew people surrounding him, he knew the prophecies. He knew he was the one. And so he went to visit his own people, the Hebrews. He saw how hard they were forced to work. During his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. After looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and hid the body in the sand. He was a little bit too excited, right? He knew he was different, so he went to visit and see his own people because he wanted to lead his own people. Why? Because he knew that was his destiny. But he took matters in his own hands. And when he saw an Egyptian being a mystery, uh, an Egyptian mistreating a Hebrew, what did he do? He killed the Egyptian. Was that God's will? I don't think so. That was his will. 
that was his reaction. How old was Moses when he first went to see his people? In the book of Acts 7, verse 23, when he was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. What motivated him to visit his own people, the Israelites or the Hebrew people? Hebrews 11, 24 down to 25, it was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. So here's Moses. He grew up in the palace. He grew up with people serving him. He grew up in wealth and the pleasures of life. He had everything he needed. But what did he choose? He wanted the oppression. He wanted to share the oppression of God's people. And what did he, what was he willing to give up? He was willing to give up to be called son of Pharaoh's daughter. Can you imagine that? I know. Would you do something like that? And here you are, living in a nice Egyptian palace, had all the meat you want, <laughs> all the potatoes you needed, you had everything, and you see the people, your he the Hebrew people being oppressed, and then Moses decides, I want to have a share of the oppression of God's people. What's the key word there? Why did he make this sacrifice? What's the key word? Huh? What's the key word? God. You see, the people being oppressed was whose people? God's people. And by faith, what did he decide to do? Leave what belongs to Pharaoh so that I can have a share with what belonged to God's people, even if it means they're being oppressed right now. You know why? Because faith does something. Faith doesn't just look at the present. What does it look at? Faith looks at the invisible. Faith looks at the future. Moses was living by faith. By his faith, he saw something beyond the oppression of God's people. You know what he saw? Hebrews 11, 26. He reckoned that to suffer scorn for the Messiah was worth far more than all the treasures of Egypt. For he kept his eyes on the future reward. By faith, what did Moses see that ordinary eyes cannot see? By faith, Moses saw that the Hebrew people being oppressed from that group of people will come forth who? Messiah. He wants to have a part of the Messiah. What else? He also kept his eyes on the future reward. You see, faith doesn't focus just on the present. It focuses where? In the future. It focuses on what cannot yet be seen as promised by our almighty God. So because of his faith, Moses was zealous. He was courageous. And he said, forget Pharaoh. I want to be with the people of God, the people of Israel. So he wants to lead his people, right? And to convince the Hebrew people that he was the one to liberate them and deliver them. What did he do? Acts 7, 24, 25. He saw an Egyptian mistreating an Israelite. So Moses came to the man's defense and avenged him, killing the Egyptian. Moses assumed his fellow Israelites would realize that God had sent him to rescue them, but they didn't. So here's Moses. He saw that uh, an Israelite was being mistreated, so he came to his defense. Is it good to come to the defense of someone being mistreated? Yes. Yeah. That's good. You should defend those who are being oppressed, right? But what was the mistake of Moses? He was doing it the wrong way. What was his way? He did it his way, right? Not God's way. Why? Why do you think he did it his way? He took matters into his own hands. Why do you think he did that? Because he grew up where? In Egypt. In Egypt, what was he? The boss. In Egypt, he gets to make the shots. He was a somebody in Egypt, right? After all, he was going to be next in line. He was going to soon sit on the throne. And so he took matters into his own hands. His mentality 
of being the number one guy caused him to be impulsive and to take matters into his own hands with disrespect for human life. He said, okay, I'm going to kill this man. What was he trying to convey? That he was on the Hebrew people's side, right? That he was the one sent by God to deliver them and to rescue them. But the Hebrew people, when they saw that, they did not believe. They did not understand. And so the following day, when he again approached the, his brethren, what did his brethren say to him? Exodus 2, 13 and 14, the next day when Moses went out to visit his people again, he saw two Hebrew men fighting. Why are you beating, why are you beating up your friend? Moses said to the one who had started a fight. The man replied, who appointed you to be our prince and judge? Are you going to kill me as you killed that Egyptian yesterday? Then Moses was afraid, thinking everyone knows what I did. You have to understand Moses. He was a man who was powerful in speech and action. How did he become powerful? He was taught all the wisdom of Egypt. He had authority. He had power. And so the way he was approaching the matter, the way he was going to deliver the people of Israel was by his power. Did you get that? By his ability, by his wisdom. However, it did not work. It backfired, as a matter of fact. What did the Hebrew people say to him? Who appointed you to be our prince and judge? So it didn't work, right? Not only did it not work, he, all, he notices everybody knows now what I did, that I killed an Egyptian. And so let's pause there for a while. And we're already seeing in our studies right now so many similarities between Moses and who? Lord Jesus Christ. Right. Right. Next slide, please. Moses is a type of Christ. Just like Joseph was a type of Christ in Genesis. In Exodus, Moses is a type of Christ. In what way? Next slide. Number one, both were favored by God from birth, right? This is why both Moses and the Lord Jesus Christ, when they were born, they were unusual. They were special. What else? Number two, both born during a time when there was a decree to kill male baby boys. One in Egypt, one in Bethlehem, remember? What else? Number three, both were miraculously protected so that they remained alive. Number four, what else? Both were powerful in words and deeds. What else? Number five, both were sent to deliver the nation of God. What else? Number six, both were rejected in spite, with spite, by their own people. Right? What else? Number seven, both were rejected to be ruler and judge over Israel. And number eight, both were lawgivers who were entrusted with covenants. Moses with the old covenant, Lord Jesus Christ with the new covenant. And so Moses, at the early going, we can see, is developing to be a type of Christ. And so Moses, when he tried to deliver his people his way, it did not work. And when Pharaoh found out what eventually happened to Moses, Exodus chapter 2 and the verses 15. And sure enough, Pharaoh heard what had happened and he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian. When Moses arrived in Midian, he sat down beside a well. So much. For Moses' plan, right? Was Moses' plan a success? No. Where was he sitting? At a well. Not a throne. <laughs> he thought he was going to sit on another throne with a different nation. He was sitting where? On a well. A well, not from Egypt, but where? In Midian. A desert. Can you imagine? To go from a city to a desert <laughs> to lose your throne so that you can sit by a well. So his plan 
did not work. His plan to deliver the people of Israel, the people of God, did not work. You know why it did not work? Because it's his plan, not whose. God. You see, Moses was not yet ready to be used by God. What do you mean? Why is he not yet ready? Did he not have faith? He did. Right? Next slide. I mean, as a matter of fact, Moses showed faith, zeal, and courage. He really wanted to deliver his people. But that's not enough for Moses to be used by God. Do you know why faith and zeal and courage is not enough? Do you know why? Let's go to the next slide. 1 Peter 5, 5 down to 6. God opposes the proud, but favors the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. What was missing from Moses? Yes, he had faith. Yes, he had zeal. Yes, he had courage. He wanted to work and liberate the people of God. What was missing? What was he still lacking? Humility. God opposes the proud, but he uses the humble. You see, Moses had to first learn humility. Why did he need to learn humility? Because all his life, he grew up where? Egypt. Egypt was a proud nation. And the pride kind of rubbed off into him. This is why God had to take Egypt out of his heart. Right? This is why, next slide, in order for God to use Moses, he had to not only deliver him from death in the Nile, he also had to deliver him from Egypt. This is why God took him all the way to Midian. Next slide. Took him all the way from Egypt, all the way to Midian. Right? You know how many miles that is? About 200 miles. So he walked all the way there. He didn't drive. He walked all the way there. He got tired, sat down by the well, his new throne. <laughs> A well. So he came, he became, he, he went from being somebody in Egypt to becoming a nobody, where? In the desert. What did God have to teach him? Humility, right? God wanted to teach him humility because he was lacking that. So in Exodus chapter 2, verse 16, who does he meet at the well? Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters who came as usual to draw water and fill the water throws for their father's flocks. Does that sound familiar? Who was that famous patriarch who met a famous shepherd's daughter at a well? Who is that? Jacob. Remember Jacob? Right? Jacob. Joseph was almost correct. Just you know, one generation higher. Jacob. Remember Jacob? So here's Moses. He's by the well. Here come seven daughters. And who happens to be the seven daughters of a priest of Midian? What does a priest do? They lead services to who? Our Almighty God. And so in the desert, with people who live as shepherds, there was a priest. What was his priest's name? Jethro. Yeah, his name is Jethro, but his original name was Ruel. Ruel. And in the next chapter, he becomes Jethro. Why? We have no idea. <laughs> but we will tell you possibly uh, one possible reason next time. Not today, but next time. Okay. But uh, so, he, the, he, so here's the, uh, the deal. Moses has seven daughters at the well, right? So the daughters of Ruel, the priest of Midian. Now, this priest of Midian, what is his connection to Moses? Let's go to Genesis 25, 1 down to 2. Abraham, remember Abraham? Married another wife whose name was Keturah. She gave birth to Zimran, Jokshan, Midan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. And so this Midianite, Ruel, was related to Abraham through Keturah. Could it be possible that Ruel or Jethro knew the God of Abraham? Probably. Because his father was who? Abraham. Okay? And so when his daughters were drawing water from the well, what happened? 
Exodus 2, 16, 17. Now the priests of Midian had seven daughters who came as usual to draw water and fill the water throws for their father's flocks. But some other shepherds came and chased them away. So Moses jumped up and rescued the girls from the shepherds. Then he drew water for their flocks. These shepherds did not know who they were dealing with, right? He was an Egyptian. <laughs> he was trained to fight. And so he was brave and strong. And so he chased away the shepherds. And the daughters were like, wow, that's my hero. That's my man, <laughs> right? And so when they go back to the father to report what happened, what happened next? Exodus 2, 18 to 19. To 19 when the girls returned to a well, their father, he asked, why are you so back so why are you back so soon today? An Egyptian rescued us from shepherds, they answered. And then he drew water for us and watered our locks. So Ruel and the seven daughters, what was her occupation? Shepherds. So here is Moses, who is not yet ready to set his people Israel free. Right? Where does God take them? With shepherds. <laughs> With shepherds. And so when Ruel finds out about this quote-unquote Egyptian, who happens to be Hebrew, what does he tell him to do? What does he tell his daughters to do? Exodus 2.20. Then where is he? Their father asked. Why did you leave him there? Invite him to come and eat with us so they were excited i mean the daughters probably yes dad <laughs> amen it's what we wanted to do all along and so what happened next exodus 2 21 moses accepted the invitation and he settled there with him in time ruel gave moses his daughter zipporah to be his wife that was quick right they were invited Moses, accept, Moses accepted the invitation. Eventually, he gets married to Zephorah. Zephorah becomes his wife. And so, because he becomes the wife of Zephorah, he stays with a bunch of shepherds. What does he learn there? Next slide. Moses was learning patience, hard work, and humility as a shepherd in Midian. Just like who? Jacob. Right? Like Jacob. Eventually, what does their marriage bring to them? Exodus 2, 22. Later, she gave birth to a son. And Moses named him Gershom. For he explained, I have been a foreigner in a foreign land. So eventually, their marriage produces a son. Who gets to name the son? Moses. Moses. What did Moses name the son? Gershom. What does Gershom mean? I have been a foreigner in a foreign land. I want you to think about that. What do you think about the feeling of Moses right now? How does he feel? He feels like a foreigner in a foreign land. You know why? He's a little bit disappointed with himself. With his plight in life. Because he knew he was supposed to be what? The deliverer of Israel. And now he's spending time with shepherds. So he felt out of place. Perhaps in his mind, he was thinking, maybe I should go back to Egypt. Nothing is happening here in Midian. He was thinking about his legacy, about his destiny. And when Gershom was born, he said, I'll call him Gershom, because I have been a foreigner in a foreign land. But you know what kept Moses in Midian? Despite the fact he felt out of place. Let's read the book of Hebrews eleven twenty seven. It was faith that made Moses leave Egypt without being afraid of the king's anger. As though he saw the invisible God, he refused to turn back. Perhaps there was a temptation to go back to Egypt. Maybe beg for forgiveness. Get back to his own position. But what kept him going? What caused him to remain and persevere? He fixed his eyes on the invisible God. You see, the more we fix our eyes on the invisible God, 
the more irrelevant material things come to be. The more we focus on the invisible God, the more we rely on the invisible God for our visible needs. So here's Moses. He was in Midian, and he was being trained by God as a shepherd because he was to lead his people, to, 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 that he may learn patience and humility. And eventually, he stayed there in Midian. Do you know how long he stayed in Midian? 40 years. 40 years. Is that a long time? Yes. You will learn patience in 40 years, right? You will learn humility and hard work in 40 years. 40 years in the desert will change you. And in fact, Moses was changed. How was he changed? In the book of Numbers, the Bible says Moses was a very humble man. More humble than anyone else on earth. Do you think a humble man would kill an Egyptian? <laughs> no. This is a very different Moses now. The Moses before in Egypt, the Moses now in Midian, very different. Now, Moses was what? More humble than anyone else on earth. Now, Moses was ready. Ready to be used by God as an instrument. So, to quickly summarize, next slide, the, the story of Moses' life, right? Next slide, please. He spent the first 40 years of his life learning that he was somebody in Egypt. But when you're filled with self, you can't be used by God. This is why the Lord Jesus Christ even said, if you want to be my disciple, you have to deny self, right? When you're proud, when you're filled with self, God cannot yet use you. And so in the first 50 years of his life, he wanted to do it his way. It did not work. Went to Midian. The next 40 years of his life, number two, he spent the next 40 years of his life learning that he was a nobody in Midian, right? 40 long years. Guess what number three is? Guess what he learns in number three? <laughs> Next slide. He spent the last 40 years of his life learning what God can do with a nobody. <laughs> right? You know, when you are humble and you make yourself a vessel, God can use you. If we want God to use us, it begins with faith, but we also need humility. We need faith and humility. Moses had faith, but at first he lacked humility. But God taught him humility. Now he's ready for us to be used. What does it mean to be humble? Does it mean to look down on yourself? Woe is me, woe is me. Is that what humility is? Let's read the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. Yet we who have this spiritual treasure are like common clay pots in order to show that the supreme power belongs to God, not us. What is the essence of humility? The essence of humility is not to look down on self, okay? Don't look down on yourself. The essence of humility is to understand, despite our best self, we are but clay pots. Did you get that? Even the Egyptian power and authority is but what? A common clay pot. It's fragile, easily broken. It's nothing. So humility is not look down on yourself. It is to understand, despite the very best version of ourselves, we're nothing. Because what really counts is what? The supreme power that belongs to who? God, not us. That's humility. When you understand it's not about you, but God using you as an instrument. When you get that, you unleash the power of God through you. But so long as you think it's about you and you get the glory and praise for yourself, God goes bye-bye. But God will use us so long as we understand it's not about us, it's about him. God is going to use us in a powerful way because the power belongs to God, not us. Moses is at last ready. And at the same time, what happened there in Egypt? Exodus chapter 2, verse 23, years passed and the king of Egypt died, but the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help and their cry rose up to God. What happened? Well, Moses was in Midian. Eventually the, the king of Egypt died, but new king comes to take his place. And the people of Israel continued to suffer, to get oppressed. And so they continued to cry to God. They continued to groan. 
who listens to the groan? Our Almighty God. We study the book of Genesis. And in Genesis, there are three things we understand about God that was expressed throughout the life of the patriarchs. What are they? Next slide. In Genesis, we learn God is the one who sees, right? God who hears. We learned this in Hagar. This is, what God, this is why Hagar called him the God who sees, the God who hears. And when Isaac, when Abraham was about to offer Isaac as a sacrifice, what happens? There's a ram. And so God became the one, God became known as the God who provides. In Genesis, we understand God is the one who sees, the one who hears, the one who provides. So his people Israel, they were suffering. They groaned and they cried to God. We can be sure of this. God will see, God will hear, God will provide. But when does God provide? After he sees and after he hears, when does God provide? Let's look at the last verses of Exodus 2. Exodus 2, 24, 25. God heard the groaning and he remembered his covenant promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He looked down on the people of Israel and knew it was time to act. God is a God who sees, God who hears, and God provides. But when he provides, he also knows when the perfect time to act is. So this time when he looked at his people, he said, now is the time. Why? Moses is ready. The deliverer has been delivered. Right? He is ready to be sent by our almighty God. You know, brethren, so all of us, we represent, we belong to the people of God in these last days. And so we should learn that God is God who sees, who hears, and provides. Whatever your problem may be, God will do that. And so pray to him, just like Moses' mother prayed. Pray to the Lord God in times of a crisis in our life. And as we pray to God, you know what God is doing? Let's read, let's read the final passage of our studies today. Isaiah 30, verse 18. The Lord is waiting to be kind to you. He rises to have compassion on you. The Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. You know, when you pray to God, sometimes before you even finish your prayer, the answer is there. Sometimes God tells us to wait. Why? Because God knows when to act. Sometimes our timing and God's timing is different. If there's ever a difference between our timing and God's timing, what should you do? You wait. Why? Because God's timing is perfect. Our timing, not so perfect. This is why the Bible says God is waiting. <laughs> the Lord is waiting. What do you mean the Lord is waiting? The Lord is waiting to be kind. The Lord is waiting to be compassionate. Yeah, he wants to show you his compassion. He wants to show you that he, his kindness. But it has to be the right time. And so he waits. If God waits, we should wait too. And the Bible says, blessed are all those who wait for him. Pray to God. Have faith in him. Wait. Wait on our almighty God. If there's one lesson we can learn from scriptures in Genesis and Exodus, is the people of God wait, right? And when we wait for God to act, when we wait for Him to show up, when we wait for Him to be kind and compassionate, brethren, we will be blessed in so many ways because when God answers a prayer, He does so giving us what we need and beyond, infinitely more than we can ever ask and imagine. And so trust, trust in your Creator no matter what happens in our life. Okay, that is our lesson. Let us all stand and we shall pray together. Almighty and loving Father, thank you so much for indeed you are our God who sees our wounds and hears our cries. And so we wait for you to provide for all of our needs whenever you deem fit. Teach us to trust in your timing. Yes. Teach us to trust in your wisdom. Yes. 
But as we wait, give us strong hearts that we will never give up as Moses had done. We will focus on you. Though you are invisible, we will live by faith. We will live for you to glorify your holy name. Teach us to be patient. Teach us humility. Teach us not to trust in our own strength, but to trust only your power and glory. Lord God, bless your people who are being oppressed. Deliver us, O Father. If If a miracle is needed, Father, that is not... That is not some, that's something that's easy for you to do. Yes. So help us, O oh God, yes. and set your people free. Amen. Lord Jesus Christ, we worship your name. Yes. Thank you so much for remembering us. Yes. Although you are at the right hand of God, yes. you care so much for all of us. Yes. When we weep before our Father, you look at our tears. You feel our pain. You sympathize with all of us. And so we turn to you now. You are the throne of grace. Give us mercy. Give us more grace in our time of need. Oh God, we believe that you have listened to our prayers. You have blessed your people today. We ask all things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, brothers and sisters, that's our lesson for today. Uh, We'll see you next week for Exodus number three, God willing.